You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am your host, Derek. I have my co-host and partner in crime here with me, Ryan. Hello. 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 And this week we are talking about the 1994 Nicolas Cage film Guarding Tess, which co-stars Shirley MacLaine. And this movie is where, quote, a former U.S. First Lady wants a particular Secret Service agent to head her bodyguard detail, even though he can't stand her. That's the IMDb synopsis, which I'm not really sure is a great summary of the film. But there you have it. That's what we're talking about. It also says it's a comedy. A comedy uh, drama. Yeah, it's a very yeah. weird. A yeah. dramedy, as it were. And this one is one that uh, when we went and watched the Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent was referenced, I think, a couple of times in that film by name. Mm-hmm. And this was one I hadn't seen, so I didn't really get whatever the joke was about it. Um, so I am excited now to eventually go back and rewatch that now that I've seen this and <laughs> maybe get that joke this time. That's fair. Yeah, I, I don't remember what the references are, but the movie was nominated for uh, a Golden Globe. Uh, Shirley MacLaine was nominated for Best Performance by an actress in a motion picture. She did not win, but she was nominated. So that was the big nomination from this movie. It's pretty close to the same rating on IMDb as it could happen to you also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And pretty close to Peggy Sue Got Married. Those yeah. are both 6.4s and this was a 6.2 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of supposedly in line with those. I guess, I guess we'll see after our in-depth conversation. That's right. So the way we normally do this is we watch these movies. And while I'm enjoying popcorn, Ryan is painstakingly taking notes. And then we go through his notes and discuss the film more or less chronologically as we go through his notes. Yes, that's true. Um, So this movie starts off with uh, Nick Cage delivering a meal to a person that we never see on a tray. Um, My first note was, why did he take his gun off? Uh, of course, that's revealed later in the film, but uh, he he there's a big point about him. He's a, a Secret Service agent. We don't know that at this point. He just is a guy that's delivering a meal or something, some sort of federal agent. And uh, yeah, he makes a big point out of taking his gun off before he opens the door to this room and setting it on the like table outside the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so he yells about how this is the last day the last meal or something like that he's leaving yeah his his tour is over he's going back to washington and he's very excited about that yeah yep and then we get a scene of him like sipping a bloody mary Mm -hmm. which was great yeah he's on an airplane he's really enjoying himself this is like the happiest man in the world right now he is up high done with this horrible person that we never get to see or know anything about we're like just kind of thrown into the this situation there's very little context right and beginning. we're just meant to assume that this is a terrible thing that he had to do for this length of time because he's so happy mm-hmm. and his head now is in the clouds literally and figuratively <laughs> um and then we get basically the most boring opening credits ever yeah with like just like stock beef footage 
it's just yeah like this, i think it's supposed to be the plane like flying but it's really low to the ground yeah. which is weird mm-hmm. so i don't know but it, and it's a long set of opening credits so it's just like stock footage over somewhere which is great <laughs> Um, then we get like our first full look at Secret Service Nick Cage, and it's a sight to behold. Let me tell you. Oh yeah, what would you think? Tell tell me, tell me what you think. He, he's a really good look. Like he's a really he looks good as a circuit Secret Service agent. Believable. Yeah, yeah, but he plays that role many times throughout his career. That's true. You know, we, kind of goes we back saw, to that. We saw the end of this guy's career in Dying of the Light already. That's true. Maybe, maybe it's the same guy. Yeah, it's the shared guarding test universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The test universe. M- M- MCU, watch your back. <laughs> um, Thanos did show up in an after credit scene, which I thought was an interesting choice for a 1994 movie. But yeah, I was surprised. Like they were really thinking ahead. Yeah, big time. Um, then my next note, I'm trying to remember what it's from. It just says Nick thinking face. Oh, I remember what this is from. Okay. <laughs> So he goes into the office. So after he lands the plane or whatever, he goes back and he's talking to his boss about what his next assignment's going to be. And his boss is like, why don't we sit down? And he's like, well, I got a call from the president. And it's like, uh, like the president of the United States (laughs) is, yes, the president of the United States, who's a recurring character in this uh, movie, but has personally called his boss to request that he goes back for a three-year tour uh guarding this person Mm -hmm. uh because she personally requested it and uh so he's talking about nick is talking about how he wants to refuse and or what happens if he refuses and the the guy's like well then i'll tell the the president of the united states that you refused (laughs) that you said no (laughs) yeah and uh so you know he he still wants to say no but then the guy's like his boss is like i'm gonna go get some coffee uh or i'm gonna go check on our coffee why don't you just think about it Mm -hmm. and then there's like a 12 second scene of nick cage's face just contemplating it yeah i mean he's he's been put into a corner right obviously a secret service agent who has any aspirations for a career isn't gonna say no to the president right but the job that he's been asked to do, supposedly, and obviously I'm not a secret a- secret agent, so I'm taking the movie as it being accurate here. This is a dead end kind of post that he's being asked to take. Right. And he's a company man. He wants to, you know, he feels like he has talents that are wasted mm-hmm. doing this particular job. That's right. Did you enjoy that scene of him just sitting there thinking? Um, I don't know that I, I enjoyed it. It was a little, conf- I was a little confused at the time because I hadn't made the connection yet that this woman was Tess. And so I was like, well, isn't he supposed to go? Like, I just, I was confused at this point in the movie. Gotcha. And that was distracting. I wasn't, but uh, <laughs> I could see how somebody would be. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. I definitely understand that. Um <laughs> So then he gets back to the uh, to the house because when the president asks you to do something, you're going to do it, especially if you're a Secret Service agent. I mean, that's basically your entire job is doing mm-hmm. what the president asks. That's right. So uh, he apparently when she has breakfast in the morning, it's delivered with a single rose. And this morning when he gets there, he cuts the head of the rose off and puts it in a suit. 
and he goes in and knocks a bunch of her shit on the floor because he says that he has breakfast for her and she doesn't really respond. She essentially ignores him. And so he throws some, she's sitting on the bed working on scrapbooking or something. And he knocks a bunch of her stuff on the floor to set the plate down. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, he's pretty mean. You're going to pick that up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It was, it felt like how I would act if I was having to do a job that I didn't want to do. Yeah. But like, we have no context yet. So like at the moment, it just kind of seems like he's rude. See, I more took it as he just really hates this job. And this is a terrible job because the character that we're introduced to, it's not that he wasn't rude. I mean, it definitely was not great, but I think for a lot of people that, could be the way they would respond if they were in that situation too yeah so uh but yeah he knocks her shit on the floor and she's like uh aren't you gonna pick that up because he tries to leave and he's like of course and at this point it's kind of revealed that she's kind of petty you know you kind of get that vibe that she's kind of petty and he's petty and uh you know she maybe is a demanding person that treats them like uh like i don't know uh, servants i mean it, it did sound like she was using them as like you know just personal shoppers and stuff they'd go run errands for her and you know bring her breakfast and i guess supposedly that you know they're supposed to really just be bodyguards yes they're and, secret service agents she's a former first lady and so they're guarding her That's do, do we know that deal. she's the first lady yet has that been revealed yet um i mean i think so i think when the president they were talking about the president yeah. who said that they're the first lady. But either way, okay. it's not really that much of a like it's not like a hidden twist. No, no. Movie. I was just trying to think about the, the Secret Service is guarding her. So clearly she has some relation to some president at some time. Yeah. So she's a she's a former first lady. Uh her husband's not in the picture. And then Nick is one of seven Secret Service agents. Uh, his character's name is Doug. Uh, assigned to this detail and then there's a chef and then there's a doctor that's kind of the the main cast that we have to play with and a driver oh right the driver of course and the secretary yeah um yeah so at some point after he leaves for the breakfast thing they uh there's like a the president gets like attacked or something and so they're watching it on the news and somebody comes in saying that she wants to see Doug, or is that his name, Doug? Yeah, Yeah, she wants to see Doug immediately. She needs him. And he says, no, I'll be up there in 15 minutes. And and he's like, no, you should really go now. And he's like, no, no, no. And so she hits the alarm that she's supposed to hit if she's like in immediate danger, which flashes, you know, red lights and sirens and everything very, very loudly. Um, And so they run up there and she just tells dog that she wants to go out to the opera tonight well not that night but or a night yeah Yeah. in the next couple days Mm -hmm. i don't think that's super relevant that it's not that night but uh she wants to go to the opera and she has a conversation with him about how uh he probably doesn't like the opera because he's a manly man and he probably would rather sit at home watching mr ed which at this point is a little bit of a dated reference i feel like (laughs) anybody that was born after the year like after the this movie came out probably has no idea who mr ed is yeah probably um 
you and I were born before that, so uh, I'm assuming you know who Mr. Ed is. Yeah, the horse. Uh, yes, the horse yeah. is a horse, of course, of course. And, and they used peanut butter and the horse's gums to make it look like he could talk. Correct, yes. Yeah. And, I mean, she asked about, you know, like, <laughs> if that's what he would prefer. And he said, yes, he'd rather stay at home and watch Mr. Ed. And I'm pretty sure that I would also rather stay home and watch Mr. Ed than go to the opera. What about you, Derek? I love the performing arts. So, I mean, a free trip to the opera sounds totally fine to me. Okay, so we're split. Um, now, now, I could see how, like, now from a professional perspective, it's out in public. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of angles that you can't cover. So but maybe, she, didn't, like, she wasn't talking about that. No, of course not. But, like, I, if that was his angle, though, was that it's dangerous, I could at least respect that. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to put but... a poll out on Twitter since Derek and I are split. <laughs> Or maybe not on Twitter. I don't know if we use Twitter. I'm not really social media, but we're going to put a poll out asking if you would rather watch reruns of Mr. Ed or if you'd rather go to the opera. And we'll see no, what the, the listeners say. We are on Twitter at Coming of Cage with 21 followers. So okay. you could be follower 22 out there right. if you're listening. I did and think we'll... it was interesting that like this ver- this character hates the opera, but his ver- his character in Moonstruck loves the opera yeah i i have a reference i have a note later that says something about moonstruck with the opera i did oh yeah that was okay. funny. um at this point i think we start to see them like get ready to go to the opera and like the car scene um and at this point i was realizing i really liked the dynamic between the two of them yes because a lot of these movies that we watch for this podcast and just in general for of nick cage have him as like the alpha male guy in charge making the calls basically every movie that we watch he's that and so this one he's not that he wants to be but instead he's being bossed around by this 60 year old woman i don't know how old she is in the movie but yeah um uh middle age to late you know, late middle-aged woman. I'm trying not to be insulting to any uh, well, women of that particular age group. I mean, let's but, see. So Shirley was born in 1937. So she was 67. So I got it right. Yeah. yeah. 60s. Yeah. So we have this uh, 67-year-old woman bossing around Nick Cage. And uh, this scene was a good one. They're sitting in the car. Uh, was this before or after she ran away? This is after because the the alarm. Their agreement scene, was that, yeah, yeah, that she does it. Okay, so yeah, before this, there's another scene where she says she wants. Did the store scene come before this too? The store scene when they go to the store, she goes grocery shopping. No, that's my fa- my favorite scene in the movie. That's oh, okay, later. that's later. So at some point, I can't remember the exact circumstances leading up to it, but basically they're getting gas or something, and the. Uh, the, she tells her driver to just drive while the Secret Service agents are getting gas station food or filling up the gas or whatever. Um, and so they take off and the Secret Service agents lose them and they have to call the local police department. Um, blah, which blah, is blah. apparently a huge joke for some reason, which like that seems shitty. I mean, it's because the, you know, there's the federal agents are supposed to be way better than the local police, but then they have to have the local police's help. Yeah, I didn't really find it super funny either. It was a weird scene. There's a scene where they call the scene we're talking about is that they, the FBI or an FBI, the Secret Service calls the local police and uh, say that they're going to put them on speakerphone 
and the local police they put them on speakerphone to the whole department to hear and as as they're talking about the slippery old woman um and they're making fun of the secret service agents the whole like police brigade is laughing at mm-hmm. them and it's a really weird scene it's not funny um no. I don't know. Maybe in 1994, it was more humorous than it is today. But and maybe for people who you know are cops or Secret Service agents, that's the dynamic. And so you, you know, it worked for you. I don't know. I found it odd. Yeah. Um. So maybe I'm rushing ahead a little bit because I feel like. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is before the car situation. Um. So I don't remember what exactly was going on when I said they have a fun dynamic, but. It was a fun dynamic. I really like the throughout this movie. I like their dynamic a lot. And I think you make a good point bringing up about how this character is very different from most of his other films. And what's kind of a fun fact is the two of them, Shirley and Nick became like best friends because of this movie. And they went on, they, they, uh, they both have a love of animals and they adopt animals together. And they did, they adopted animals together for years. In fact, they co-adopted a zebra. I wonder you know, where it lives. <laughs> I don't know. That I don't know. But I thought that was kind of a cool, fun little fact. Yeah. For what it's worth. And my next note says subtle caginess. I feel like I don't remember exactly what was happening. There was moments when it was less subtle, but there were some moments when it was like he was wanting to go off on her. And he instead had to rein it in. Yes, and he, uh, like, the character was wanting to go off on her, but he would, like, as character was holding that back, and so you could just see it in his face that, like, Mm -hmm. he was getting ready to unleash the cage, but it was doing everything he could to hold it back. (laughs) Yeah, the Um, caginess really comes through in his frustration in this movie. Yes, that's when you see 90% of it or more. Um, Then I put, he makes a great Secret Service agent, obviously, we've already kind of mentioned that. He just is really good in this movie, I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, then they go golfing. She says she wants to go golfing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think this is when she runs away was after golfing. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it's like 30 degrees out. And this kind of shows the how inept most of the other Secret Service agents are around him. Because he has a whole like squadron. There's, yeah, there's like seven. five of them. There's seven. Se- there's seven, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that some of them are like talking on her backswing and you know things like that and this whole movie they're basically telling doug nick cage's character that you know just chill out man this is like an easy gig we're making we're making good money and we're not in danger and this is you know a very easy thing so just let it go um but he refuses to do that mm-hmm. um they they don't take it seriously and he takes it maybe too seriously correct you know yeah and so she runs away um, after this. They're getting gas on the way back from the golf thing. And she runs away in the car with the driver. Um, and so they get back to the house afterwards. The the police, the local police find her and escort her back to the house. And Nick Cage, Doug, just goes off on her. How he's quitting. Um, how she can refuse. uh uh, protection some protection can, yeah. all this other stuff just goes off on her and so the next day but wait i want to talk about that exchange though because i think that scene is awesome the two of them are so good together on screen their chemistry on screen is my favorite part of this movie 
And this is the first time where the characters really are like honest with each other. Yeah. Right. Neither one's holding back. They're not dancing around each other. They're not, you know, withholding. They're just really not literally in each other's faces because there's, there's some distance there, but they're really at each other. And I thought it just was a really great scene for both of them. For sure. I don't think this is the scene actually where he talks about how she can refuse protection. I think that's later because there's a few arguments like this, but uh, it, something happens in this one. He says he's going to quit and she walks out and says something like, uh, wait, if I promise not to do that again, will you stay? Mm -hmm. And he says, sure, but you have to listen to me or, you know, they, they basically come to an agreement that he'll stay if she doesn't do that again. Um, and the next day, he's at dinner. Is this the one where he's at dinner? Man, I, I just watched this last night. And there's just so many <laughs> similar situations in this movie that happened multiple times. Um, he He's at dinner with, or the bar or something with the others, some of the other Secret Service agents. Oh, that's much earlier. Is it? That's when he, that's after he cuts the head of the rose off. That's when he first comes back. Because you're talking about when the president calls him at the bar? Well, I mean, I'm the writing diner. these down in chronological order, so it couldn't be. Maybe I'm confusing the two phone calls. Maybe. Because there is a phone call. He get, at some point gets a phone call from the president. Oh, maybe maybe this is the first phone call, and this was at the diner. This was not the one where it was at the bar. Yeah, he gets a phone call at the diner, where I think he's eating go. alone. No, the diner, and... is, he's got he's got the guys there. Does he? Okay. Because he's In talking case... about how, like... He's going to they're going to do it by the book, you know, and they're not going right. to go shopping for her anymore. And he like he really thinks that he's put his foot down. Right. That he has control over this situation. Yeah. And just about that time where he's deciding he has control. The, but like somebody that runs the or works at this diner is like, uh, are you Doug Chesnick? There's a there's a phone call for you. And he goes and answers it's in the president. And I loved this, honestly. <laughs> it's so good. Both times this happens. I loved it. It's and he's so like. Good. He's like, yes, yes, Mr. President. And the president's like, why am I calling you about a, you cutting the head off a rose? <laughs> you know, it's just ridiculously asinine stuff that this president is having to do to mm -hmm. deal with this one secret security or secret service agent. Um, but he apparently his this president was we find out the vice president for her husband. Mm -hmm. That's husband who was the president. And so he has an, a vested interest in her mm -hmm. and he wants to keep her happy. And the public loves her. Yeah. She's Which, like a national treasure. I think I brought. Da -da oh, <laughs> uh, so I, and I think I brought this up later that they did a really good job of portraying her as a, like uh, a politician Yeah, where like, she's kind of, you know, a jerk in real life and pushing people around. But when you get, see her public persona, everybody loves her. And she puts on this like very nice, kind face and, you know, her real personality is somewhere between the two of those. Um, and they did a really good job of portraying that. Mm -hmm. I yeah, sure. Shirley McLean's just fantastic in this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the president threatens that if he screws, if he has to call him again, then he's going to be guarding the president's dog. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I wouldn't mind that if I was a Secret Service agent. I mean, like, uh, I, if you're Doug, right, at least that gets you back to Washington. That's true. Right. You're going to be at the White House and all That's that true. jazz. So I don't know. Maybe that is a step up. Uh, fun fact, the president who we never see on screen, we only hear is voiced by the movie's director, Hugh Wilson. So. That is a fun fact. Thank you. Yeah, um, OK, so then we get to the night of the opera. Yes. Finally, 
Uh, and so <laughs> this is this is just after you know, like the day after the president called, and they had this argument. Uh, and so they get into the car, and I love this scene because you can really feel like the tension mm-hmm. in the scene, the way it was shot. So there's a there's a car of uh, Secret Service agents, and then there's the car that has Tess and Doug in it, and the driver, and. Doug is sitting in the passenger seat and he's holding the door for Tess and she specifically ignores the door that he's holding and goes around to the other side (laughs) and sits down behind the driver. Um, So Nick Cage's character, Doug, gets in and says that she can't sit there. She needs to sit behind him uh, because that's how the Secret Service mandates they they, uh, deal with people that they have to guard. It lets mm-hmm. them keep a better perspective on them. Uh, I'm assuming with the rearview mirror or whatever. And so she refuses. She says, I'll I'll be sitting here. Uh, so go ahead and drive, driver. And then, you know, Doug is like, no, don't drive, driver. Until she buckles up in this other seat, uh, you don't move. And there's like this awkward tension because all the other officers or agents are sitting in the other car like, what are you doing? You know, we're just sitting here and it's all just a really long scene of them both just like clenching their jaws and, you know, waiting for one to give up an inch. And so finally Tess, this is where she finally gives in for the first time to, uh, to what Doug wanted. And so she moves over to the other side. Well, this is the first time she has something to lose and he doesn't, she'll miss the opera. Right. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to go in the first place. Yeah, so then we get to the opera, and the person singing has a really impressive mustache, <laughs> which was my next note. I really appreciated that mustache. He puts a lot of work into that, you can tell. Um, and then, yeah, I got another cage opera with Moonstruck in parentheses. Mm-hmm. So, um, And so then we get, so this was a weird scene. Maybe you can explain what you thought was going on, but she starts to fall asleep yeah. during the opera, and people start pointing at her. And like, you know, she because she's kind of a local celebrity. Mm-hmm. And so people are like pointing at her and like looking at her with their little opera binoculars and stuff like that. And so he notices this and he like touches her shoulder and she doesn't really move, doesn't really wake up. And so then he like moves her chair. And so like it shows the edge of the stage or like they're in the one of the like, uh, what are those things called? The little booths. Like up top the balconies, yeah, balcony, yeah, like a little balcony, like private balcony. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he it shows him like pushing her chair up to the edge, which is obviously like fenced off. And then he moves like his chair up behind her. And as he's moving it, he like really bumps her chair and startles her. And she like makes this really loud noise, uh, you know, and everybody yeah. turns and looks at her. And I don't understand what he was trying to do. Do you understand what he was trying to do when he was moving her chair? So, so here was my take because it's weird. It is an odd, it is one of the more bizarre scenes in the movie. Um, I think what he was trying to do was take the blame, like he was moving his chair and bumped her and that and to, to wake her up, kind of thing. But her reaction drew a bunch of attention. Weird, I didn't get that at all, but, but it, I mean. Yeah. But that explanation is better than the literally nothing I could come up with. So it is just a really weird scene. I'm grasping here, but it, yeah, it yeah. is a weird scene. Yeah. So that like, was my next note. What was he trying to do? Because I don't understand at all. 
I do feel like in this moment, you start to realize like he does like, care about her to some extent at this point, And he doesn't want people gawking at this older lady who's fallen asleep at the opera. And so he's right. trying to figure out how to help without drawing attention. And he totally fails. Correct. And so around this time, I'm going to make a somewhat obscure reference here. So I don't know if you'll understand it or not. I started wondering what their relationship was actually supposed to be. Because I was getting like weird romantic vibes between the two of them. Huh. At which the person I was watching it with did not get those at all. But I was getting weird like romantic vibes. And all I could think of was this movie or this like fake movie in The Office. Um, did you watch The Office, Derek? Yeah, I've seen The Office. So there's a there's a episode of The Office where um Andy and uh and Jim and Pam are all like watching a movie together that he pirated and it's like a pre-release movie and they're talking about a real life relationship that like her dad is having and mom is having problems or something and he's watching the movie and every time they make a comment he thinks that they're talking about this movie anyway that's not relevant to this plot <laughs> right but right. there's the, the fake movie has jack black and cloris leachman in it and it's jack, jack black is like falling in love with this woman that's like uh... 80 years old and there's like a weird gross makeout scene and like he she pulls him into the tub at one point and it's just really gross and <laughs> All, that's all I could think of during most of this movie. <laughs> wow. I was like, is that the route they're going for with this? Um, it turns out no, but I did still have weird vibes between the two of them the whole time. Uh, I didn't get that. Maybe that was just me. No, it was. Okay, Just you, literally, literally of the millions of people who have seen this movie, you're the only one to Probably. get that. You don't get a lot of Office references on this podcast, so you're welcome for the <laughs> three of you that have watched that show. Um, and Which so, is our yeah. whole audience, by the way. Yeah, exactly. They've all seen it. Um, so when they're leaving, you get a good look at one of the Secret Service agent's vehicles. And it turns out that in 1994, apparently the Secret Service agent was driving Ford Taurus wagons. Yeah. Okay. So that is kind of interesting. Um, I couldn't decide if that was because like, they weren't provided the means to get what they needed or if the point was to be like, in inconspicuous but if they're constantly following like this lincoln town car or whatever <laughs> I know. she's driving yeah you know it, it anyway either way doesn't really make sense to me i took it as like this is one of their personal vehicles that they use for company stuff because i can't imagine a world where the secret service would be like yeah we give our guys a ford taurus wagon but then at the same time though like these guys should have okay money like their their That's salaries true. are paid for their when they're on this um this contract, like their room and board is paid for and everything. Just because like somebody has money doesn't mean they have to drive a really expensive car, Derek. So. No, no. And that's doesn't. a reasonably priced car. So it's somebody that has good financial sense. Okay. But if it's the government, then they need to spend more. Oh, okay. I see. And then my next more note is... my tax dollars. <laughs> my next note is, is that the guy from Police Academy? Yes, that's that right. is Tackleberry from Police Academy. Uh, Lee uh i think it's his name oh yeah played by, played by david graff is yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and my the person that i was watching it with also brought this oh. up she's she said is that tackleberry from police academy and yes yes indeed it is um so that was a fun familiar face for those of you that like those movies problematic these days those movies are but uh i still have fun memories of them 
so yeah, my next note is sorry to offend anybody that might be 67 years old that watches this or listens to this podcast. Watching an old lady boss Nick Nick Cage around is great. <laughs> God. So then Why we get... are you so focused on her being old, man? Well, because I was still thinking that romantic thing was going on. You know yeah, what that's I mean? A, that's a and weird... that makes it uncomfortable. That was a weird angle. So then we get, I think maybe the first time we get this in all the movies we've watched, we okay. see a pooping Nick Cage oh, on, the, yeah. on the toilet. <laughs> and as soon as I saw him pooping, I knew he was going to get a call from the president because... Why else would they show us? <laughs> Basically, they're trying to show, you know, his most vulnerable moments is when he gets calls from the president. Mm-hmm. And some would argue that when we're pooping is when we're most vulnerable. Not me. I take special precautions so that I'm not vulnerable. But a normal human being, probably pretty vulnerable in that moment. Ryan always packs a shotgun in those situations. I've got so many... I don't want to give away all my secrets. Let's just leave it at that. Um, One of them is smell, but that's as far as I'm going to go. Okay. So the driver at some point, my next note is I thought the driver worked for the secret service because at some point before this, Oh, after she ran away, had the driver run away. uh, Nick Cage is like, we're going to fire. We're going to fire you. You're fired. You know, you don't have a job here anymore. And he said, well, I'm pretty sure I do still have a job because she said that I wouldn't be fired for this. And um, so, Nick Cage says, oh, you work for us. You've got a, you, you're fired. You know, you don't have a job anymore. And so, yeah, there's several moments in this where the Secret Service is telling him to do something. And it's confusing because if, in fact, he does work for the Secret Service, he's not listening to them. So this is where the this is all about that dynamic between Tess and Doug. Earl works for the Secret Service, but at the end of the day, the Secret Service works for Tess. And so Tess picked Earl. She she essentially is the reason he was hired into that role. So he is her driver. He is her driver because he works for the Secret Service that works for her. That's the real key here. The only person, the, the only people, excuse me, that are not Secret Service are the secretary, the chef, and the doctor. Everybody else that we see in that house is Secret Service, but they work for Tess. So if Doug fires Earl, but she, Tess, overrules, what's Doug going to do, right? He's just going to get another call from the president. And at some point, the president stops calling. And that's, you don't want to be around anymore at that point, right? right? So I think that's the dynamic. Sure. Um, because I brought up Tackleberry from Police Academy, I didn't want to say R.I.P. He passed away in two thousand one. So, mm. but he was he was great in Police Academy, great in this movie, and it's a limited role. So, you know, good on him. Um, but yeah, that the, that dynamic is what it's all about. There's some weird scenes. I still think that if the driver works for the Secret Service, even if she is the one that got him the job, he should be listening to his boss, not her. But whatever. Um, and then I mean it's but, it's clear that the whole structure is wonky in this situation. Right. And there's a power dynamic they're trying to figure out essentially. Exactly. Like she's constantly pushing it, he's constantly pushing it. Um and it, I we didn't mention it but it's kind of an important plot point. Earlier in the movie, she reveals to uh Doug that she has an inoperable inoperable brain tumor. She doesn't. She lists three things and asks him to guess which one is true. 
Okay, so I wasn't alone in this because I thought that she may have been lying about that at this point. So that 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 threw me off a bit because she says that one first and then she says two other things. And so I think what ends up happening is, is that she lied and more than one of those things was true. She wants she's going to the opera and she has a tumor. Yeah. Well, well we, at this point, we don't know yet. At this a, point, we see her in the doctor's office mm-hmm. uh, getting a, I don't know, CAT scan, whatever that, whatever you do to see brain tumors, whatever that scan is. Um, and it, I'm not a doctor, but that tumor looked like it was literally like a third of her brain. It looked like a freaking baseball. Yeah. I don't know how she's able to live and may, and I'm not smart. So I, I don't know. I don't know, <laughs> you know. If we have people that know more about brain tumors that follow us in our 30 followers, you know, put, let me know how much of an idiot I am because that, that thing looked huge. And yeah. I feel like you shouldn't be able to be alive with that big of a chunk of your brain that is a tumor and not brain. Well, it's also kind of a weird subplot because there never really seems to be any action on that subplot. She doesn't start having any side effects or symptoms of having this tumor and you know by the end of the movie it's just it's kind of an afterthought so i'm not entirely sure why it's there i feel like if you removed it not much changes yes and there's another subplot that we're about to get into that is the same way um so yeah the the tumor never really plays a role but they do hark uh, harken back to it a few times uh later in the movie but it doesn't really have any plot significance Mm -hmm. um so then after the hospital, she has somebody tell her that her son is coming to visit. And she was very excited to see her son. Uh, and it turns out that her son is just there to pitch a business idea and get her name attached to it because she's very high in public regard. And having her name attached to it would make it seem like a better uh, thing than it actually is. And it's revealed that he's kind of a shrewd businessman that, like, you know, if that didn't tell you that it was, there's some other stuff they talk about with him later that's shows that he's like kind of a dick. Um, but yeah, she refuses her son. She does not give in to these whims. Um, yeah, she she says no. I would have liked a little bit more onto that, like because there's no back and forth. There's she doesn't really have to explain herself, which I mean, she doesn't have to explain herself. But I think just from a viewer perspective, it would have been interesting to hear that monologue because of how like how good Shirley is in this. I would have liked to have seen that. So yeah. just it kind of it happens just really quickly, and I guess it's it's meant to show that her relationship with her kids is not great. I think it's meant to show like that she's reevaluating that maybe she thinks that her relationship with her kids is better than it actually is. And she's realizing in that moment that she really doesn't have anybody and she's probably closer to Doug than she is to anybody else because her behavior around him kind of changes after this Mm -hmm. moment. Um, And I will say that when he was pooping, (laughs) he he had the president called him because I'm pretty confident that this is the reason. Because he quit. And this yes. was, that was the time he told her that she can refuse protection. Mm-hmm. And then turns out he, when he quit, she did refuse protection. And this president said, the president said, no, that can't be the case. America loves her. If something happened, then he would be in big trouble because, you know, he's supposed to be taking care of her. Um, you need to do whatever it takes to get her to accept protection again. So he starts like following her, uh, you know, and having his guys follow her 
even though they're not you're not supposed to be protecting her they're trying to get a meeting with her she like locks them out um but yeah they're just kind of stalking her at this point yeah the like, case in her house exactly <laughs> um so at one point uh oh i said smart move turning her son down because that was a bad that had bad news written all over it mm-hmm. and you know i was worried they were going to make her arc be that now she's this dumb older lady that gets taken advantage of which she's not a dumb older lady she's a very smart older lady and uh <laughs> i'm glad they didn't go that route with it because there's you know in real life there's a lot of scammers out there that are constantly trying to take advantage of elderly and older people and so you know it would have still been pretty relevant today if if she had invested and like lost her money or had you know her image ruined or something like that so i'm glad they did not go with that to make her look more competent and give her a better you know there was a lot of significance to that scene even though that plot didn't really go anywhere yeah um, so then she sneaks up on Nick Cage while he's in his car pouring coffee and he like has this amazing cagey <laughs> overreaction where he like slings coffee all over the Everywhere. place inside the car and it's all over his pants. Or and she's like uh she's like uh he's like, You snuck up on me and she's like, No, I didn't. And then she turns to walk away and he starts following her. And he's like, What did you need? Why did you come out to here? And she's like, I wanted to see if you wanted some coffee. <laughs> Which it was it was great and he like looks down at his pants completely covered in coffee um yeah it, that was just wonderful and then they go inside and it's like a real heart to heart between the two of them i do they, want to point out though that like it does show some of the ineptitude of this guard of this group of of security guards of secret service because this like ran like this one person's able to sneak up on doug what if this was like a trained assassin She's right. not a trained assassin. She's a retired no. first lady. Yeah, they can barely move a lot of the time. She has trouble getting around. She uses like an umbrella as a cane for right. Some of the like, movie. imagine if somebody really wanted to hurt her. Foreshadowing, yeah. uh, right. right? Like how easy that would be. Right. So then they go into the kitchen and they're like, "She's like, you know, I have a drink once in a while," and uh, you know, so they start liquoring it up. And uh and, and you were like, yes, I was right all along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're gonna do it. Uh um, right here in the kitchen. <laughs> right. Uh so then we find out, you know, the this is a this is a there was a trope revealed here that it wasn't great, it was annoying, but where like she knew that the that her husband was cheating on her, but she just didn't let it, you know, affect anything. She didn't let anybody know that she knew and blah blah blah, which is something that happens a lot in 90s movies for some reason. And uh, you know, it is what it is. But you know, it, it was good. I overall I did enjoy this movie, but that that part was a little annoying that because it didn't really have any plot significance other than like the fact that she is a sweet old sweet woman that stayed by her husband despite this uh, both son could be said because some might say that she was like manipulated or you know yeah mentally abused like there's there's problems there it's a little mm -hmm. problematic but i think it was supposed to show like how sharp she is and how aware of everything she is that she's smarter and more involved than people gave her credit for i think is what it was meant to do but i agree with you it's yeah. it's not a good tool they could have they could have done something else to show yeah. how smart she was i mean they'd already shown some of that with the sun but uh yeah i mean she's tenacious throughout like basically the whole movie 
you know? And so like, I, by this point, I'm already sold. I believe that she right. is a more than capable human being. I'm know? just enjoying the heart to heart without adding that in, you right. know? Yeah. Cause we're supposed to feel bad that she's a widow. Mm-hmm that her, her husband passed away or whatever. Instead, now we're like, oh, well, she's better off without him because he was a cheating asshole. You know, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was a little weird. Um, So then we get my favorite scene of the movie, the grocery shopping scene. Ah, uh, yeah. So she's in like full uh, disguise <laughs> mode, like wearing sunglasses and like has her, like, if, you know, when Marvel people like, do their disguise where they have a hoodie up and sunglasses that's basically what she's doing this is where feige got the idea yeah exactly <laughs> and so she walks in and the, the the manager there immediately knows who she is obviously and he's like so does she, does she want to be known today or does she want to be unknown <laughs> so clearly this happens this you happens. know pretty regularly and she he starts going okay nobody knows who she is nobody knows who she is to all the cashiers and so uh she's like walking around with the secret service agent and she pulls the thing of peas off the counter off the uh <laughs> rack and and there's no price and so she's like these peas don't have a price and so the secret service agent like holds up his wrist walk and he's like uh we need well, there's no price on the split peas in aisle 17 we need a price check on the split peas in aisle 17 and this other secret service agent is so now with it the goes manager. to nick it goes yeah, to nick it goes to doug yeah. and he's with the manager and the man and he's like uh, we need a price check on McCormick Sweet Peas, uh, aisle seventeen, and oh, the manager's like special yeah. two for fifty nine, special two two for two fifty nine or whatever. And so he says that to the walkie, and uh, she <laughs> and she goes, "Well, I only want one." And so the guy's like, uh, "What if she only wants one?" Over, and then and then Nick Cage is like, "What if she only wants one?" And the manager's like, "Oh, it's a two for one, so it's the same price either way, or something like that." And so she, okay, two for one. So she go ahead on the piece. And the other guy's like, "Nope." Now she's lost interest in the piece, and she we're moving on. It was just a really, really great scene. One of probably my favorite scenes of any of the movies we've watched. Uh, it was just a really fun scene. Yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, and if you were gonna classify this movie as a comedy, that's like one scene that I would say supports that. There's there's not a ton of other ones. Um. But yeah, that scene was just, I loved that scene very much. It's so good. It was so great. It's, there's also, there's that moment where she's got the two guys with her and she starts like pretending she smells smoke that somebody's smoking. And oh yeah. To get them start to coughing and stuff to get them to run away. Yeah. She's just, she's having a great time. She knows exactly how to manipulate like the situation. Yeah. Um, and then my next one is Mr. Ed callback. I don't remember exactly what that was, but there's something about Mr. She says something about Mr. Ed. And I'm like, okay, that's just, that's a cool reference to earlier in the movie. I don't remember the context, but I think that's when she's watching some stuff in her room and he visits or whatever. And she oh yeah. When comment. she's talking about how she wants to go to the, have a picnic yeah. with just him there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a Mr. Ed callback in there somehow. I don't remember exactly what it was. Well, Cause she, she starts watching. I think this is, I assume that this is because she knows about the tumor and she's getting nostalgic now because uh, she you know, doesn't know how much time she has. And so she's starting to rewatch a lot of stuff about her husband and when you know her and him were in office and things like that. And that she's watching footage of the funeral and she sees, you know, how upset Doug is at that funeral and everything. And, you know, yeah, there's like a zoom into Nick Cage's face at the funeral, like getting for emotional. Some random reason, yeah. The, yeah. ABC News was like, "Hey, let's zoom in on this random person." I'm sure. Well, they do. They, to be fair, news stations do do that to like make things seem more dramatic. Mm. You know, like if one person's reacting more, they will focus on that person, yeah, so that everybody true. thinks the whole crowd is crying. Yeah. When in reality, it was just like some kid that dropped his ice cream. It was just Nick Cage, <laughs> right? 
Um, so yeah, at this point, I started to wonder what was happening because they, uh, she's like, I just want to go and have a picnic, and I only want you to accompany me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, so is she feel like she's about to die or something, and she's gonna like this is gonna be like her last picnic. That's what I thought. That's definitely the vibe that yeah. I got. Um, it was uh, a little absolutely. weird. Which then was like totally thrown off when we get to the picnic and she doesn't want him to sit. Yeah, with she her. wants to sit by herself. That's that was the whole point of it. It was very um, odd. It does show some geese off to the side. And my next note says, you better watch those geese. Because if you've ever run into Canadian geese, they're probably more dangerous than most people you could run into. <laughs> so they are mean sons of bitches. I'll just say it like that. So, yeah, I said he better watch those geese because those they were suspicious. Um, but turns out he shouldn't have been watching the geese. He should have been watching something else. So he, she passes out Mm -hmm. like completely unconscious. like, just like she did the opera. And so he has to like carry her back to the car and she's done. Like she does not wake up. He's carrying her. He's like jostling her the whole time. And for a minute, I thought she was dead. Like when he checks her pulse. Yeah, it was a weird scene. Like yeah. He checks her pulse and then like slowly moves her to the car. So you don't know if she's dead or what. Because it's the... he has no reaction to when None. he checks the pulse. So yeah. you're just left wondering. He's like I'm totally guessing, stoic. I'm guessing that's intentional, but it was a little weird. Yeah. Um. So then, uh, yeah, it, it's basically revealed that. The, well, the oh, car peels no, the off. Car, yeah, takes off. And they do a quick cut showing her wake up and get kind of jostled in the back seat, which was interesting because that kind of gives away the scene. Yeah. Like if you remove that, you still, you think she's just screwing with him. Yeah. Right. But her reaction makes it feel like she wasn't in on that. Yes. And he gets frustrated thinking she's like run away again. And uh, so he walks to like a gas station somewhere with the chair that she left there He's just carrying his and chair. calls his inept secret service friends who come and rescue him. And he's just sitting out on this chair in front of this gas station for however long, I think they said it's been two hours or something. Um, and so they realize that nobody's shown up. The driver hasn't shown up. Nobody knows where anybody's at. And so uh, he, they're like, well, should we call the president? Cause apparently that's a matter of that needs to go straight to the president. And they're like, no, let's wait an hour. And so they wait an hour, still nothing. And so they call the president. And the president sends a bunch of Secret Service people down there. FBI, CIA. FBI, yeah. Like all the government organizations are represented. And these guys have the most extreme reaction to the Secret Service guys. I, I mean, it was unbelievably an overreaction. They go through and they're talking about how they lost this like 60-something-year-old lady and how they're absolutely disgusted with the Secret Service. And it's, man, really? Holy moly, dude. These are trained agents. Clearly something else is going on. Because they're questioning them. They're like, nobody saw anything happening weird because this seems like it was an inside job. And Nick's like, no, nothing weird, nothing weird, nothing weird, like four times. And yeah, they're like, we're disgusted. They immediately paint these guys as the bad guys. Right. You know, um, which was interesting. And that's where uh, James Rebhorn shows up. I'm sure people would recognize him. He plays a similar role in a lot of the movies he's in. Uh, like yeah. Independence Day, he plays a very similar role. <laughs> sure. Uh, so at some point, they're outside the house and the secretary comes up to mm-hmm. Doug and is like, she hired me. 
And Doug's like, okay, I understand. Don't worry, we're going to find her. And then she's like, no, she she hired me. She's the one or something like that. She says she hired me when no one else would. When no one else would. Yeah. And so then I, Nick Cage decides to hug her, which, I mean, in that situation, I get it. There's a lot of weird emotions, but she clearly did not want to be hugged because she does not hug back and she just kind of stands there and takes it and then runs away as soon as he lets go. Yeah. It was an awkward hug. I don't really understand what she was implying. I think it was just meant to show that she's like really worried. Right. She knows that Doug would be really worried when she says, you know, that, that Mrs. Carlisle hired me when no one else would like, what does that mean? Does that mean she's like not good at her job? But also the driver had done a similar thing earlier in the movie. I just don't understand. I think it's just another establishing thing for Tess to show that she gives these people second chances and uh you know is is always willing to take a risk on a person being a good person fair enough uh, maybe that's wrong but that's just the way i took it so then uh they go so something hits doug he sees the cigarette a cigarette lighter in a car and they said mentioned that the driver had been found and that Tess was not in the car and he had burns on his neck in the shape of a crescent moon mm-hmm. and i immediately was like okay it's a cigarette lighter burn but nobody else gets that. No, the, so like, the feds think it's like a terrorism mark. Yeah, it's like the ter- terrorists left their mark on, on the guy's neck. But uh, then Nick Cage sees a cigarette lighter in a car. And when I think somebody's lighting up a cigarette in the Ford Taurus, maybe, I can't remember. Um, and he's he immediately like wants to go question the driver and compare the cigarette lighter to the burns on his neck. So... He goes there with uh, James Redborn's character, Howard, to the hospital where the guy's being kept, even though he's got two tiny burns on his neck. And that's basically it. Well, he did have his system was drugged. He was drugged. He was drugged. So and we don't I forget what the drugs are. Ketamine and something else. Yeah. So maybe they were just observing him. Could be. But then they're there and they're like, can we can you remove the bandage so we can get a better look at the burns? And so when he does that. Nick Cage holds up the uh, the lighter to his neck, and it's a, it's clearly a direct fit. And at some point, the guys, the driver, sees that he's holding the cigarette lighter and starts like trying to put plant seeds of doubt about Doug into his supervisor's head, going, you know, like Doug hates her, uh, Doug, you know, says all these mean things about her, blah blah blah. And the guy starts to believe it. It seems like, and then immediately. Doug's reaction is to pull a gun on the guy. My next note was, uh, is Doug going to kill a civilian? Because he's legitimately like holding this guy down and pushing the gun into his head. Yeah, Doug is straight up threatening a civilian who is in a hospital bed with a federal agent standing like six feet away. Yeah, and the the other, his boss or whoever that is, was like, Doug, don't do this. Don't do this. And I didn't know if they were doing like a good cop, bad cop thing. There were moments where I thought that they were in on it together. Right. But by the end of it, no. Clearly not. So then <laughs> he's like, okay, well, I'm not going to kill you, but I am going to shoot off one toe every five seconds until you tell me what happened. And so he doesn't count to five and just blasts off a toe. <laughs> Straight just guns the guy's toe off in the middle of a hospital. And then the guy starts screaming and says he'll talk and says that his sister and brother-in-law, I think, or something like that. Uh, I think it's, I think it's his sister and her husband. 
yeah that would be brother-in-law yeah uh oh his brother sorry it is so that there's they set this up or whatever and he was in on it but uh you know whatever and uh so yeah, he shot off the toe. And what's amazing, so Howard's character, he's like the agent in charge of the situation now that the president was called and everything, right? Yeah. And he like doesn't arrest Doug at this point. Doug has shot a civilian who was not a, an imminent threat. This Literally a exploded bed. a toe. Right. Like, yeah, Earl, Earl's the bad guy here. Don't get me wrong. But like, you can't just shoot a dude in a hospital bed and have zero consequences. Right. And not only that- Nick and not only that he's like fine he goes to all the crime scenes and everything later uh so the guy basically says there she's being kept in a barn mm-hmm. and they instantly know what barn it is i don't know yeah it's the the one barn in town the one barn in town <laughs> and so they start they like you see kind of like a bunch of federal agents surrounding this uh house like barn house um and they like start throwing grenades flashbang grenades and shit in there and i'm like you have no idea where te- this former first lady is at. Or like who else might be or around. Or who's in like, there. There could nothing. be kids or whatever. Yeah. You're just throwing flashbang grenades in there. You Like this guy could have lied. And then you're just throwing flashbang grenades into this innocent person's house. I thought that was a super weird decision. It but, was a little uh, aggressive, but it is the first lady that they're trying to find, I suppose. Correct. And so they find the two people that the guy had sold out. And they're like, oh, she's she's in the barn underneath that thing. And they point to a thing. It turns out these guys put her in a box and buried her in this very deep hole. I don't like very, very deep. I don't know how two people dug this hole without machinery. Or like, how it, like, was, you, it also like you couldn't it didn't look like there had been a hole there. Like it looked like this. It was done a yeah, long time. It ago. was not disturbed or anything like that. And it was a we I mean, at this point, we don't know she's in a box, but uh you know it was a pretty good sized box she was like she was standing up in it no she wasn't was laying, she no she was laying down was she it was like an oversized coffin oh okay well it looked like she was looking up like she was standing in it but yeah i could no, I she was laying like with her face up when nick's looking through the hole so they start the fbi or whoever starts digging and they dig and they get like eight feet deep like these fully grown men are standing in this hole mm-hmm. and nick cage's team after they get that far is like Oh, let us in there. Let us, let us dig. dig. Yeah, after it's already been mostly dug out. And then they start hitting a box. And there's also, we forgot to mention, so that she didn't suffocate, they put a PVC, like a four-inch PVC tube mm-hmm. attached to the box going up. So you, the only thing to track her was they had this PVC tube that they assumed went into whatever hole she was in. No food, no water, no movement, but they've got this tube for air. So Right. And so uh, we get basically they pull her out and they put her on a helicopter like she's critical at this point. It's assumed. I mean, we all know, but it seems like if they're going to life flight her out of there, it's pretty terrible. And Doug is like, don't let anybody see her like this. Get water and rags and wash her up or whatever. So they, they have time to wash her up and they throw her on the helicopter and they're like, oh, there's no room for you, Doug, or your team. You guys have to drive. Yeah, and all so, these all these schmucks who just showed up, they're all on the helicopter. All yeah, the, all the self wings. Yeah. Yeah. And so they get a ways away, Doug and his team do. And the somebody in the helicopter's asking says that somebody's asking for Doug. And they're also what, yelling, Doug. What, what happened? The helicopter takes off and then comes back down and lands. Yeah. 
it's a cat. And then they're like, Doug. And then another person hears that that's like 30 feet away and yells, Doug. And then another it's person like 30 feet away. Yeah, it's it's like this daisy chain of people yelling, Doug. And Doug. eventually it gets to him and Call he runs Rocksmith. back. And we get the satisfying scene of him kicking all the uh, all the big wigs off the thing so his whole team can go on there, even though she just asked for him. But uh, I don't think that's how it would have happened in real life. But hey. You know, I don't think any of that would have happened in real life. She's in critical condition. Like they're not going to bring the helicopter back down <laughs> right. for her. They had enough time to like have ten minutes of these people yelling Doug's name <laughs> through a daisy chain and <laughs> go up and land the helicopter while she's dying. Um, yeah, that's that was my next note. Everybody moving slow with a dying lady on board. And then my next note is shot him in the toe in quotation marks. So, which usually I do to indicate that somebody literally said shot him in the toe. Yeah. I don't remember exactly the context, but yeah, somebody yells about him shooting him in the toe. Yeah, so because somebody's, I forget who it is, but somebody's upset that like Doug's had zero consequences at this point. Like it was his detail that was, you know, on, uh, that was supposed to be protecting Miss Carlisle, Mrs. Carlisle, and she gets kidnapped and then he shoots off this dude's toe in a hospital and like, everything's fine. No big, you're good. My very last note says she plays a good politician because we see her coming out of the hospital. We do get a fun scene of like the guy and you've seen this scene a million times of the person that doesn't need to be in a wheelchair and doesn't want to be in a wheelchair. And then somebody has to talk them into getting into a wheelchair to to leave the hospital because it's policy. Uh And so we get that scene and eventually she sits in the wheelchair but and, there was uh, a moment though, because like Nick is standing between the two. There was a moment where I'm like, Nick's gonna sit in the wheelchair, isn't he? <laughs> just to get them mm-hmm. both to shut up. I, I didn't get that vibe at I all. I got this vibe that he was just gonna just do it to shut him up. But yeah, she puts it. She sits in the wheelchair, and uh, the the guy wheels her out, and she's waving and you know saying hi to all her adoring fans, and uh, you know uh, yeah, and that's when I put she plays a good politician because she did a really good job doing like that dichotomy of like, I can be a huge jerk or I can play this really nice character also. Mm-hmm. So, yep. That was my last note. Yeah. Uh, she knows how to play the game, man. I mean, one part that we skipped over is when the president is supposedly coming, supposedly coming to town and they have to do all this prep work and everything for this part of the museum that's opening up or the library or whatever. And they end up, the president doesn't come and they send some like, much like lower level person. I forget who it is. You know, some, some secretary of whatever. And um, she, Ms. Miss Carlisle is just so good at saying the nice condescending thing in a professional way. And like just her and Doug have this really great dynamic during that point. And she's just so sharp. Like just, ah, Shirley MacLaine is the highlight of the movie for sure. Yeah, Absolutely um so that's it that's the movie that's the movie yeah that's the movie man she's um, apparently still alive too she is yeah. yeah in fact she uh she's still working she was in uh uh only murderers in the building wow for a couple episodes you know so she she still does stuff i mean she's um she's done a lot of things over the last few years you know so she's still working well hey more power to her she was great in this yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, so after a movie like this, we usually give a rating That's and right. a cage a cage score. Yeah, so we've got two two scales, quality and cageness, both zero out of 20, zero low, 20 high. So Ryan, from a quality standpoint, how would you grade guarding tests? 
Okay, can you remind me where I put uh, It Could Happen to You and also Moonstruck? So It Could Happen to You, you gave a 12. Okay. And Moonstruck, you gave a 16. Okay. Well, I feel like this movie was closer to It Could Happen to You than it was to Moonstruck for me. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it was probably a little better than what It Could Happen to You. And I gave that a 12. You did. So, yeah, I'm going to say uh, 13 for this one for quality. Uh, I think it was a good, solid 90s movie. Um, it had a lot of just like the tropes that you, or that may not tropes. I use that word a lot and sometimes incorrectly, but cliches. Yeah. A lot of things that when I watched movies in the 90s, I didn't really pick up on because I thought it was just what all the movies were doing. But now looking back <laughs> on it, it seems like something that just a lot of movies in that era did. And it still happens today. And I'm sure in 10 years, I'll go like, oh, that cliche from movies in the 2020s. Um, but yeah, it's it was uh, it was a joy enjoyable movie. Another solid 90s movie for Nick Cage. That's slowly shaping up that and like the 20 early 2020s or late 2010s are shaping up to be the best eras of Cage, mm -hmm. in my I opinion. Agree. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on all of that. I was actually going to give it a 13 myself for quality. So we're right on the same wavelength there. Very it, nice. It's a cute movie. Their dynamic is wonderful. Shirley's fantastic. Um, you know, just the stories, it's nothing like super special. It's really just that those two have such great chemistry together. It kind of elevates an otherwise mediocre movie. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, so then we got to rate the caginess. Yeah, this is a little tougher. I mean, you always say it's tough and literally every week you say it's tough for one reason or the other. But I think there was some solid cage moments in this movie. Um, some, tough. Sometimes it's very obvious. <laughs> so, well, that's true. Some are some in this movie were more subtle than others. Um, but well, yeah, what do you think? So I, I think that the caginess is higher than it could happen to you. Um, but I think it's probably like just a little bit lower than Moonstruck. And so I was going to give it um, a 12 on caginess because what there was are... our caginess on Moonstruck. So uh, on Moonstruck, the average was 15 and a half. Yeah, I would. I, yeah, I, I, I'm feeling a similar vibe to where you're at. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with a 12 because, yeah, there are some clear moments like when he's yelling at her and stuff like that. But I also think there's some other caginess in when he's trying to rein it in when he wants to you know shout at her or something but he knows he can't and he's trying to be professional you can kind of see it in his face he's got some some caginess to those moments um you know when he goes off on earl in the locker room is a very cagey kind of altercation and, and that but or when um, like the hospital when he blows the toe off oh yeah you know? absolutely so that's why like there's clear moments throughout this movie that are cagey but i think not quite to the level of moonstruck and so 12 yeah yeah i was gonna give it a 13 also so we're pretty close um so yeah i was i guess i was 13 on both scores but yeah cool so it comes out to be a 13 on quality and a 12 and a half on caginess for guarding tests and then the last thing we need to do is we uh we spin our wheel of cage to figure out what movie we talk about each episode but we have to add a movie to the wheel to replace guarding tests so the movie that is joining the wheel is sunny s-o-n-n-y which i don't recall that movie at all so we'll have to look into that one so that's going to join the wheel and that's about it for us this week we are taking 
a little bit of time off. We are skipping uh, a week when we would normally release something. Uh, so it, instead, our next episode will come out on April 3rd. April 3rd. So it's basically a full month between this episode and our next episode on April 3rd. To find out what we're going to be covering in that episode, you're going to want to go to comingofcage.com and follow us at Coming of Cage to check out the Wheel O Cage. And that'll tell you what Nicolas Cage movie we are talking about next. Ryan, any parting thoughts? No, I think we covered most of it. I enjoyed this movie more than most of the other movies we've watched. So uh, yeah, definitely check it out if you're a Cage fan and, uh, you know, want something different. Yeah, I agree. It's a good watch. It's a nice movie. It's not overly stressful. It's, it's an easy watch. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Exactly. When some of these movies have been legitimately difficult to watch, this was this one went down smooth. So exactly <laughs> like All a right. nice root beer, like a nice root beer. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone. We are the Coming of Cage podcast. Find us at Coming of Cage. We will see you in a month.